Welcome to episode 14 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 2. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. At the onset of this episode, I would like to provide my listeners with some content warning. Please note that this episode contains concepts and words that may not be appropriate for very young children. I will leave it to the parents to screen and decide um, what age children should listen to this, but this episode is also highly recommended for high school students as well as young adults. Right off the bat, I want to share some statistics with my listeners, and the source for these statistics is the National Institute of Mental Health in the U.S. In 2017, there was an estimated 46.6 million adults aged 18 or older in the U.S. who suffered from AMI, and AMI is any mental illness. This number represented 18.9% of all U.S. adults, which pretty much is one in every five adults. The prevalence of AMI was higher among women at 22.3% versus men at 15.1%. Of the adults, the young adults aged 18 to 25 years had the highest prevalence of AMI at 25.8% compared to those over 50 at 13.8%. Here's what is not a very happy statistic. Only 46.6% Of the 46.6 million adults that had AMI, only 42.6% received mental health services. So less than half received the mental health services that they deserved. Now I want to ask you, are you ready for this? My next statistic is staggering. An estimated 49.5% of adolescents age 13 to 18 have AMI. And this number is only increasing, which is nearly half of every kid aged 13 to 18 years, which is one in two kids. So if you have two children in your house, according to these statistics, one of them is suffering from AMI, which is any mental illness. Why am I sharing all of these statistics with you, you may ask? Firstly, to show to you that mental health issues are very prevalent in the U.S., Secondly, since 1949, the U.S. has recognized May as the Mental Health Awareness Month. Thus, it is totally appropriate for us to share, le- to share life lessons around this topic. I believe it is very important to break down the stigma surrounding mental health. Mental health should be dinner time and kitchen table conversations in every household, especially with your teenage children and young adults. I urge my listeners to go back to episode number six of Sharing Life Lessons. Nikki, a 25-year-old, has told us her story about her struggle with mental health issues and how she overcame it. Today's guest is another brave young adult who wants to share her story to begin a dialogue on mental health publicly. Everyone, let's welcome Whitley Rogers. Welcome, Whitley. It is great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you. Whitley, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, so my name is Whitley Rogers. I'm almost 20 years old and I'm located in Las Vegas currently. I am a certified life coach and mental health advocate 
And like we'll talk about today, I'm a survivor of sexual and mental abuse, and I also suffer with anxiety and depression. So I started a podcast myself, actually, called In the Wake with Whitley, where I dive deeper into my story and my own processes of growth and self-help. And I also bring on other guests to share their stories and their struggles. And Whitley, I will have the name of your podcast and the link on the show notes. So if listeners are interested, then you have the information in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. So Whitley, tell us your story. Okay. So it's very complex. And like I told you before, you can jump in, you can ask me questions because I'm an open book and I have gotten very comfortable with being vulnerable and sharing these things. It really all started when I was 15 years old and in high school. There was this boy who I had known for years prior through church, and he all of a sudden had an interest in me. And this boy was very charismatic and popular and well-known you know, like teachers just loved him and church leaders adored him and parents just wanted their children to date him or marry him. Like all the girls loved him and he chose me. And so I felt so lucky and he was a year older than me. And so Whitley, you were a sophomore at the time in high school? Yes. Well, okay. it, he was a junior. Yes, I was going into my sophomore year. He started pursuing me during that summer after freshman year. Got it. So I was really young. I had never been in a relationship before. I didn't have, you know, an example of what that looked like for me, what it what was healthy, what was not healthy, what was okay. And I never was taught what consent meant. I never had the things equipped for me that would have helped me to not get into this situation. And so I was very vulnerable, didn't know what was going on, but it looked perfect at first and it was too good to be true. You know, he, that was the start of the grooming phase was just showering me with all this love and affection and attention. But then little things started to trickle in that were probably red flags looking back on it, but I didn't know any better back then. Like kind of punishing me for things that were so small and weren't that big of a deal. Like me choosing to walk from school to my car with my friends rather than him. And then he'd give me the silent treatment for days or things like when we were beginning to date and be official, he would ignore me at like church activities and not even look at me, not even respond when, or acknowledge my presence, just little things to degrade my sense of worth and make me feel belittled and very small. It just progressed and got worse and worse. And when I would bring those things up to him, he acted as if they had never even happened and totally deny and ignore them and make me again question whether that really happened, whether that was the reality. And that's gaslighting that's what abusers do is make the victim feel like they are going crazy like what is actually happening to them is all made up in their head mm -hmm. by denying their reality 
he just started small and then just built up and pushed those boundaries. And the sexual abuse started Valentine's Day, our first Valentine's Day together. And he did this big grand gesture, super cute. And I was a hopeless romantic and it was everything I could have dreamt of. But then it was just, you know, to get in my pants. It was never out of love. It was always because he wanted something. Like I owed him something. I owed him sex. I owed him something. What I'm hearing you say is that because he did this really cute setup for Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. then you owed him the sex thereafter. Right, right. And it didn't start off with him raping me. It started with small sexual acts and pushing my boundaries. And the first time that happened, Valentine's Day, I ignored him. I, I kind of avoided him, stepped away for three days because I felt so terrible. I, I didn't know what happened or how that happened and it, I didn't want it to happen. And because we were from a very religious background and you're supposed to wait to have sex until you're married. He used the church teachings against me to manipulate me and he made them work in his favor when that's not how they should work. And he also had a heavy problem with pornography that definitely played a role in it, acting out his you know, fantasies with me and they were very violent and not fun for me. And so it started small and then it just got worse and worse. But looking back, I can see the timeline line up that that February when the sexual abuse started is when my mental health deteriorated. And I started showing severe signs of anxiety and depression and it really manifested through the abuse. And so I started having intense panic attacks every single day and a lot of the well almost all of the panic attacks or the mental breakdowns were caused by him so then he swooped in and tried to make it look like he was the savior and he was there to make me feel better and build me back up when really he was the one that tore me down and so from the outside my family thought that he was a savior. He was a blessing in my life because he was helping me through this depression. He was helping me through these anxiety attacks. He was always there, always stepping in. But really, he was there because he had caused it. I missed a lot of school my sophomore and junior year. I'm surprised I even passed because I was always sitting in my car before school, just hyperventilating and sobbing And I wouldn't actually be able to make it into school because I was just so distraught. A lot of that anxiety was social anxiety about school because, again, he started isolating me from all of my family and friends. Okay, you said that your family thought that he was your savior. Mm -hmm. But at that time... Did you see through him and did you see that he was causing you the mental health issues and that he was then trying to cover up or is this all just in hindsight? A lot of it is in hindsight because I was so under his spell and questioning my own reality. And so there were things where I kind of cries for help that I would kind of say things to my family 
but because they were also under his spell and being manipulated by him, like he had manipulated their perception of him and our relationship. So they would stand up for him, protect him. And that's not the case now. My family is amazing, but I wasn't the only one affected by his abuse. My family, they are secondary survivors and they were very much manipulated, very much controlled as well. To an extent, I did feel that he was a lot of the root because every time I'd break down crying, it was because of something he did or said. But I also loved him. I thought I loved him. And so he would use that against me as a vulnerable spot and a weakness. And I protected him because, like I was saying, he isolated me. So I had no friends. After New Year's Eve, that was like the last time I had hung out with my friends that sophomore year. And so he was my only friend. He had created rifts between my relationships and my family. And so I thought, if I lose him, I will have nobody. Nobody will love me. Nobody is going to be there for me. And so even if this is miserable right now, like, this is all I've got. And he would kind of reinforce that belief because he was always telling me we were going to get married. And we were so young, but he was saying, like, with the whole sexual abuse and our religious teachings, he was like, it's okay that we're having sex before marriage because we're going to end up getting married anyway. So it's fine. And try to get around those teachings and beliefs. It progressed to a point where he was raping me on a weekly basis and I was a shell of myself. My family felt like they had lost me and a lot of their lives were uprooted because they were so focused on just keeping me alive day by day because I was so miserable. And I look back on pictures from that time where I seemingly look so happy because of course my social media makes it look like I had the perfect relationship and it's so beautiful and so fun and I'm, you know, living my best life. But I look at those pictures and all of them are tainted. All of them have some background story of something that happened that day. And it was just, every day was so heavy, so dark. I must ask you, did you seek professional help at the time? Yes, I started therapy March, that month after the sexual abuse started, but I didn't mention any of the sexual abuse. I didn't say anything bad about our relationship to my therapist. She thought I was just coming for the anxiety and depression. And I created this, again, perfect image about my relationship that he was my savior. He was helping me through all of this stuff because I was so scared that if I leaked anything, she would tell my parents and my parents would never let me see him again. And I was so scared of being left alone because he was telling me that I was unlovable and that I was broken and damaged goods, that because I had sex before marriage, no one would ever want me. And because I was mentally ill and had this severe anxiety and depression, no one would want to take care of me and deal with me. And I was lucky that I had him because he did love me and he did take care of me. And so he just created this narrative that I would be screwed over if I didn't have him. And I believed that. 
these all seem like classic signals of emotional abuse. Very much so. The mental abuse was just so hard. And like I said, I was a shell of myself. I didn't recognize myself. So yes, I was going to therapy to kind of help. And I went through a trial and error process with different medications, but nothing was helping to the extent of just relieving all of this because he was the root problem. We were together for almost two years. And one day he just decided he was done with me. Like it no longer was fun for him because I was so broken down and so messed up at that point that he had used me, he had played with me, and then he was done with me. So he broke up with me and those 48 hours after he left were absolute hell. I was so distraught because of all those stories he had fed me that if I didn't have him, I was going to have no one and I was going to have nothing. And so I attempted suicide four times in those 48 hours and I was just hysterical, screaming, sobbing. It was so terrible for my family to witness. In those moments, my family was just trying to keep me alive. And there was one point where multiple family members were pinning me down to make sure that I didn't harm myself. And I'm just crying and saying things like, I will never be loved again. And I am nothing. I'd never want to breathe again. All these terrible things. And then something just shifted. Like I woke up and it was like I snapped out of his spell. And through the tears, I started saying, instead of tearing myself down and saying all these terrible things about me, I started, I tried the opposite because I was like, this isn't working. This hasn't been working. And so what if we changed around? So I started saying things like, I am a badass. I am so strong. I can do this. I can get through this. And I remember my sisters laughing because it was so weird for them because all of a sudden I was saying these things to myself out loud, building myself back up. And so once I cut him out of my life, he came crawling back. Once he saw that I started doing better and I was happier, you know, that felt threatening to him. And he tried coming back into my life two or three times, but once I was removed from him and I was building that strength, it was like, you can't control me anymore. You can't manipulate me anymore because I will be okay because I have myself. And I was learning to love myself again and prioritizing my mental health and my heavy anxiety and depression. It really lifted. It was like a night and day difference when he was gone out of my life. So I feel like you found your inner strength. Mm-hmm, very Do much so. you actually remember the time when you found it? Do you remember the time when that switch happened? And can you tell me a little bit more about how you recognize that the switch happened? And this is for the listeners who are going through this so they can get some motivation out of this is to the switch is possible. Mm-hmm. I really don't know how it happened. Like it was a miracle <laughs> to say the least. It was in that moment where it was two days after I was broken up with him. I just 
was so sick of being miserable. I was so sick of being in the trenches and rock bottom. And I just thought to myself, like, this hasn't been working. And what if I tried the opposite? And so I just started different affirmations that were building myself up. And even though I didn't necessarily believe them, I just kept saying them and saying them until it became true. I just faced it. You know, the saying, fake it till you make it. I like to change it, face it till you make it. Because I, like I, I faced those inner demons. I faced the trauma of that abuse and I worked so hard on myself. I went to therapy. I went to EMDR therapy for trauma. I went to a psychiatrist to get better medication. I started reading self-help books like Brene Brown and all these different gurus and I I really prioritized my mental health. Anything that would help me feel better about myself trumped anything else. It was the most important thing in my life to build that self-love because I had this self-hatred from that relationship because I realized throughout that relationship, I was looking to him to be my savior while I was drowning. And I was looking to my therapist to fix me. I was looking to my parents to fix me. I was looking at all of these external things and it wasn't working because I had to do the work. I had, I had the power. I was the only one that understood to the full extent what I was going through and what I was feeling. Other people only knew certain parts of it and they could only imagine how I was feeling. But I had to do it for myself, by myself, and I couldn't do it for him. I couldn't get better for him or for my parents. I had to do it because I wanted to, because I wanted to feel better. Because even though I was in therapy during that relationship, I was comfortable in that miserable place. I wasn't really putting in a lot of the work. You can go to therapy for an hour a week, but it it isn't going to make the difference if you're not going to put in the work. Whatever you put in, you will get out. So after that relationship, my therapy journey took a 180 turn. So I'm still in therapy now and I love it because I actually show up to that, that therapy session prepared and wanting to work on myself, wanting to better myself, wanting to heal these inner demons. How did that spill into your social life then? You said you were without friends because he distanced you from them. Did that mm -hmm. change? So the rest of my junior year, I was pretty lonely at school those last few months. But as I prioritized myself and learned to love myself and all these different things, I was learning that I can create the life that I want. And so I didn't have friends, and so I seeked other people that were like me, that were lonely, that didn't have that group of fun high school friends, and I created a friend group, this little group of girls, and, you know, we all were very opposite, very different into different things, and we were a little awkward at first, but we stuck together that senior year because, you know, we created something out of nothing and realized that 
we don't all have to be miserable alone. There's so many of us that feel so isolated and alone and lonely, but if there's so many of us, why aren't we joining forces and, you know, like being- Supporting each other. Yeah, supporting each other, exactly. Exactly. It seems like you went through a lot too early in life and- Yeah, I had uh, to grow up early. I was forced to. And you really didn't- enjoy your teenage life like every teenager should no. <laughs> no so what is it that you learned from all of this what is the life lesson that you would like to share with our listeners my kind of mantra has become to rise up and rise above and music has been a powerful source of healing for me on my journey and the song Rise Up by Andre Day has been like my theme song throughout all of this. And I especially like the lyrics that read, I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid, I'll rise up in spite of the ache, I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. Because I've been knocked down over and over again, but I haven't let that stop me. And I have gotten back up each time and it doesn't, it doesn't get easier, but I get stronger as I build that resilience and that strength each time that I don't think I can go on. And I do, I prove to myself, like, I can rise up. I can rise above this pain. I can rise above this heartache and tragedy, or I can rise up above this failure and I can keep living and I'm going to be okay. That is beautiful. <laughs> I love the lyrics Thank of the you. song. Thank you for sharing so that. Powerful. It was nice talking to you, Whitley. And thank you for taking us through your journey. Yeah. And, and the reason why we share these stories is because we know we're not the only one going through this. And there mm -hmm. are so many others who are going through the same thing. And if they can listen to your story and first learn that they're not alone. And secondly, get some tools from you because you have risen above it. You have mm -hmm. come out on the other side of it. So this is something where they can learn from your story. Is there anything else as a last message that you would like to tell people about how they can get to the other side of it like you did. Yeah, well, I just wanna re reiterate kind of what you said is that you're not alone. You know, in the thick of it, it feels like you are, but you're not. And if you've ever been abused or taken advantage of, like it's not your fault, no matter how much they try to make you feel like it is, it's not your fault. It doesn't define you. It doesn't have to consume you you can keep going, you can keep living, and it's a part of your story, it's a part of your past, but it's not the whole story, it's not the whole picture, it's not your whole life, and it doesn't define who you are. Or who you're going to become in yeah, the future. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful, beautiful message, Whitley, thank you very much for sharing that, and I'm so happy that you were a guest on my podcast. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story. I appreciate you. I would like to commend Whitley for being not only vulnerable, but also brave at the same time in wanting to share her story so openly with everyone, but also wanting to share the awareness that date abuse and date rape uh, can lead to severe mental health illnesses. Rise up and rise above. 
is a beautiful life lesson. And I hope everyone who will feel strapped under the burden of any mental health illness will take that life lesson. And I hope that will motivate them to talk to their loved ones about their mental health issues and also seek the required medical help that is needed to help them through this journey. This brings us to the end of this episode. I will return next Wednesday with another episode of Sharing Life Lessons. Until then, be strong, be happy, and be well.